This show is sponsored by Luna Sushi, lunasushi.com. Also, ATEP Herbal Spa. Check them out on Facebook. I am Citizen 44. You are listening to Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg, live from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 88. That's two 44s. That's a lot of fours. And according to my neighbor and friend downstairs, Harry Hobson, the number four is synonymous here in Asia with death. Death to the infidels. I know you're dying to find out who's on. We've got Marla Estes for a second time. She was on a couple of years ago around this time with Rob Schlapfer, and they were talking about bridging the divide. Their whole thing is getting people on the left and the right, the red and the blue, to become more purple, to at least see each other and communicate more effectively, and they impart critical thinking skills, emotion management skills, things of that nature, so people are not fighting so much and figuring out how to get along, said Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? Really, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? Really? We got Marla Estes on the show. We also have my neighbor, Harry, Harry Hobson from uh, Hogwarts. Harry Hobson from Hogwarts. Harry? Harry's a cool cat. He's a guy I've been hanging out with and uh, we've become fast friends. Someone I can drink coffee with, eat meals with. He's been here like 30 years. Harry's a good cat, a lot of fun. A few days ago was the 12th. I've been in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam six months now, and I do totally feel like I'm home. I'm not compelled to leave. Not that I can anyway, but I have no interest in being anywhere else other than where I am. I'm enjoying the experience. I'm meeting great people, having fantastic relationships. My professional life is now taking off. There's just all kinds of magnificent things that are occurring. So I just want to let you know, it's okay for me to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to be here and I'm going to stay here. I'm not going anywhere. I got a motorbike now. I love riding the motorbike. Oh my God. I love riding the motorbike. I went to District 7 today and there was a Triumph motorcycle dealership. Uh-oh. O-M-G. They had a few bikes out there. I actually sat on one this twin engine street machine. Very cool. You can buy that bike here for $1,200 and it's about $10,000 in the States. It's all relative. I foresee this happening as I become more successful. I'm gonna get myself a little bigger machine. You don't see a lot of full-size motorcycles on the road here. Very few actually, mostly motorbikes and scooters. I do love a good motorcycle. That's what's going on here, all good. All good in the Vietnamese neighborhood. Marla Estes is on the show. We got Harry Hobson. Harry, Harry Hobson from Hogwarts. All right, here we go.
the last show we did together was almost around this time two years ago, August 8th, 2018. I can't believe it's actually that long ago. I know, crazy. And I would imagine some things have changed dramatically since then, and some things perhaps have not changed at all since then. Yep. Two years ago, we were talking. It was you and me and Rob Schlapfer. We were in the office at 238 East Main, and you guys were working both together and independently. And I think the quest was to get a dialogue happening between people that have a difference of opinion based on who they associate with politically primarily and what their belief systems are around those associations Have you made any headway, and is your organization still called Bridging the Divide? No, we've changed because we found that our focuses were very different. Although our work goes hand in hand, Rob does something called Save America now, and he's more into educating about the issues. And I've done something called Building Bridgers. And that's much more about the personal psychology and education part of it. Because what I was finding when we would launch into issues themselves, people were so triggered that I'd start seeing people walking out. And I realized, and really what I have more of a passion for, is how to get people ready to have those hard conversations. And since the two years, I've really developed my ideas about the kind of scaffolding that it takes to get ready for those conversations. Right now, I'm taking a couple groups month by month and really taking a deep dive into getting ready. So it's a lot about the triggering, the reactivity, what I call our personal operating system, which is basically how we're wired neurobiologically. So the survival instincts, the tribalism, the needing to be right, all these things that really become obstacles in bridging the divide. And the other thing that we found, Rob and I together, is people really don't know in general about civics. They don't know how government runs to even start to make changes or to understand the process of things. And the other thing that I'm focusing now on is also educating people about the basic principles of the right and the left, or the reds and the blues, I like to call them, and what's right about the right what's right about the left and what scares them about each other. Also, I do a piece about humanizing the other. People have to dehumanize so they can hate and then they don't have empathy. And what I've found anecdotally is that most people are more purple than red or blue. With the two-party system, we're given these very narrow choices. And somebody gave me the great compliment recently of saying that I'm nudging people towards nuance, which I really love, especially for the alliteration. So that's some of the things that I found out in the last couple of years. I've been working with three nonprofits who are in the bridging world, and I'm also discovering that diversity is a big word right now, but not viewpoint diversity. And there's a real lack of engagement on other parts of the political spectrum than the left in these movements. And There's a number of reasons for that, but mostly what I'm finding is many of these bridging organizations, their idea of bridging is trying to get the other side cross the bridge and come over to their side. So I'm really working on a lot of political diversity within the movement. I'm working on this education piece. I'm in the process of doing a research project where if people attend a workshop in which they're educated in the ways I just described, if they depolarize, I'm developing metrics to do that. 
The other part I'll put in now is that there's a big perception gap and you can look at studies. There's one really important one called perceptiongap.us, which is really how both sides see the other as more extreme than they actually are. They say that about 85% are somewhere in, in more moderated than the hyper-partisanship on either side. So there's a lot of information out there and the media is really not helping. There's very little nuance to be found in the media. So that's a big overview. I mean, there's a lot more going on, but I'll start there. What is your professional background that you have training in that you're now working with people to navigate some very murky water? Right. So I got a master's degree, gosh, 20 years ago now in transpersonal psychology, which is the mix of spirituality and psychology. And I'm more on the psychological end. And the rest has been doing field work and just getting in there and presenting things as I see them. And the other thing I want to say is that this emotional intelligence and the ability to self-regulate, a lot of times people think, oh, we have to come from the heart, not the head. You know, the head is what caused the problem, but we need the marriage of both. And that's a lot of what I focus on. And what happens if you really want to understand the issues, so a lot of times I tell people, just try to get to the place where you understand the other side or another side or the whole of the issue. And you cannot do that if you're wrapped up in tribal identification with your ideology or if you're too triggered. I'm really going by my own process in the last three and a half years and having been in the trenches myself of getting really triggered, having ideas that push against my former way of thinking about things. And end result, Mark, is I'm so much more relaxed. I feel like I'm so much more open to understanding. That's why I tell people, treat this as a study of something you don't know anything about or you have wrong assumptions about, like learning Russian or something anecdotally of people who are in my class right now were in our class last year and who come regularly to presentations people report being a lot more calmed down i'm mostly working with people on the left because i'm in ashland and some of them will say off record i actually am more conservative than i realize so most people are a little more left on some issues a little more right on some issues and if they can be free to express that and to explore that, I think it makes a big difference in bridging the divide. It's probably not this simplistic, but there's people on both sides who don't believe in bridging because it's about their side winning. And in the best case scenario, the attitude is, well, my side will win and the other side will see that it is better. And the other scenario is, well, my side will win and heck with the other people. And whether we like it or not, we can't get a divorce. We're in this together. And part of what I'm finding is getting buy-in from people about bridging is really important because it is really hard. You have to cross a lot of your survival mechanisms, learn how to self-regulate. For example, this group that I'm working with right now, there are two groups that I meet with once a month each. Their buy-in is spiritual. They want to see, well, what does it really mean to live We Are All One? and not just we are all one with the people we like or think need our help. And that's one of the things that I really hope I'm doing is to present the idea of bridging or even attempting to bridge as a virtue. And I can say quite honestly that after doing my own journey on this, I feel like a better person in all my relationships, not just political. I'm a lot more relaxed 
I'm a lot less defensive. I don't need to be right all the time. I'm more curious. So it really is something that's valuable for us as individuals and will help in any relationship. If it is about me winning and you losing, the competition thing will never equate to being fair for anybody. Right. If it's just about winning and it's not about what's best for everybody, if it's competitive versus cooperative and collaborative, then it will continue to fail no matter what. And because it is unfortunately designed to pin one side against the other, automatically there is a competitive aspect built into it, which is to me the primary failure mechanism that keeps us from working together to make this happen. Because as long as there is red and blue, then there is not purple. And if we don't have a singular unified vision of making it correct for everybody in the best possible scenario, this can never absolutely be bridged. Right. On a practical level, just take practical, even if I thought I don't have a side anymore, but if I thought my side was 100% right, it won't work to push that through. And part of what I try to do and what is very hard, because a lot of the bridging movement groups right now will teach people how to have civil conversations, to humanize the other, to listen, and that's all good. These are all good things. But I hope that I am taking it a step further, which is to calm down enough and get the critical thinking mechanism going well enough so that you can say, oh, the other side does have really valid points. I'm generalizing. The, the left has a tendency to point out the problems and the right has a tendency to be pragmatic about things. So we need to marry the kind of vision of the left and the pragmatism of the right. When I really start looking down the list, there's so many polarities and dualities that need to be integrated. And that's the way we find new solutions. People get upset because they think, oh, moderates and centrists, and it's about meeting in the middle, and that's no good. But there's something else that happens that people don't realize. And for people who know about the dialectic, which is thesis, antithesis, synthesis, which is an idea, it's opposite, and then something new that arrives out of it. Because that's what happens when you can really, in good faith, have a meeting of the minds. Because we need new solutions. And we need to do them together. And that's the practical part. We cannot keep being at loggerheads. Because we keep arguing about ideas and positions, politicians and us as citizens. Keep on saying no to the other side just in principle. Without exploring, without being curious, without seeing what's valid about what each side has to say. It's a no-win. There's no way, as long as this competitive aspect of society continues down this path, it will always come up with a zero-sum gain because if we continue to do the same thing over and over again in the same way, we're going to get similar results. It's just how the world works. And the only way for change to happen is you have to change what you do so you change the result. By the way, a lot of this is why I'm in Vietnam and you're in America. I'm kind of over it. I'm going to be 60 years old in a couple years. And I watch all of this, and there's a lot of futility involved with it in the short term. I absolutely appreciate the work that you do, and I think it's very noble and necessary. But I'm in this place now where it's the opposite type of a culture. America is a very individualized culture. And here, it's really quite the opposite. This is really more communal, family-oriented. Older people are revered. There's no old folks' homes here. Everybody lives together till they die, but it has its polarity downfall, but I never see anybody unhappy here. 
everybody's pretty content and they don't have shit, most of them. And of course, this is a far different type of a political landscape. This is communism. Communism. But at the same time, I don't hear anybody complaining. I don't hear anybody fighting. I literally hear people say, I'm happy every day. And they're not robots, they're people. And they work hard. 80-year-old women are riding around on motorcycles. There's a very free attitude here. And uh, as little as they have, they seem to have a lot more self-respect and ease of living here. And that's why I came here, because it's affordable. I knew people would be a lot softer, calmer, and gentler. It's just a much better quality of life, to be honest with you. I'm just giving you my opinion. I'm not speaking for anybody else. It seems to be just a clusterfuck in America. And even the COVID situation, to me, is symptomatic of a sick society. It is the sickest society in the world. And it's manifesting itself in this other condition. It fascinates me. It saddens me. I have two teenage children that are growing up in very, very difficult times. And I am concerned that when all I hear is vote, 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 and just get rid of that guy, I don't really see any growth, honestly. I just see getting through this next crisis to the next crisis. Wow. Yeah. Well, I have a different take. For me, and I'm more surprised than anyone about this, I've become much more patriotic since I started this work. And I'm certainly no pundit, but I really have understood the experiment that they call America. And I do have, I don't know if hope's the right word, but I do think there's things in this country that other countries don't have to offer. And I think it's worth working on. So yeah, I do feel loyal to the country in a way I never did before. It's really crazy. There is a bridging movement emerging I've seen a lot of people at least dipping their toe in about bridging. There's more books being written. There's more organizations starting. There's more groups and even movies. There's actually more movies, documentaries now. I also think that whatever's happening here, we're ramped up. America's always been like more than the other countries. But I also think there's threads of all of this stuff. I don't know in Vietnam, but certainly in, in Europe and other places. To your point about COVID, I thought when it started, I thought, well, this will be the uniting threat. They say we need a common threat to unite. At the same time, I've got hope. I also say, wow, even this we're politicizing? It's crazy. But I do also have hope for the 2024 election. I'm seeing candidates that are leaning towards more bridging, more bipartisanship, and I think we can do things like that on the local level. So what I hear anecdotally is there's a lot of politicians that are actually more bipartisan or more bridgy, but they feel like they can't do it because of their constituents. I'm very interested in how individuals change. And I think if we have some brave people who are willing to run on a campaign where I want to reach across the aisle, I want to work with my colleagues that have different ideas, I want to address as many stakeholders as I can, like even the rural-urban divides. There's so many different divides that aren't even red and blue. So I actually have some kind of hope. I guess I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. And I do see in the people that I'm involved with how they change personally. And that, I think, has weight. Because, you know, we don't know what the ripple effect is. If I see 10 people that really settle down and are genuinely curious about doing things differently, how many people do they touch? 
You've already won because you are changing people. That is winning. I consider myself a hopefulist. I have no faith in humanity whatsoever. But I definitely have hope because, like Kurt Vonnegut Jr., who wrote incredible stories of people doing the right thing, we know what to do. We really do know what to do for the most part. We just don't do it. We just choose not to do it. And a lot of that is a poor education, poor programming, poor parenting, being in an environment that's not conducive to nurturing, equality and mindfulness and all the things that you're helping people discover through this one realm, which is really important. So I have not totally, of course, given up on America because again, I think it's a maturity issue. It's a young country. We're a young species and we're still figuring things out. And if you are changing minds, you are part of the evolutionary process. And if we're still here in a hundred years, we'll certainly be much different. And that's a long time to go through whatever we're going to go through. So I'm glad that you're seeing results. And it does happen on an individual level. Huxley said, it's going to take 10% to change the other 90. And if we're only at maybe 1% or less, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people on the planet who are lost or asleep, so poorly educated, they have no clue. The emotional immaturity problem is a huge thing. People not really knowing how to discern, how to think without getting caught up in things all the childhood trauma and because of my family situation i got really involved with listening to these podcasts called finding you an evoke therapy series of podcasts that are absolutely stunningly brilliant that have helped me tremendously i am so appreciative that my brave son is going through this metamorphosis of suffering and finding himself and in doing that he's forced his mother and father to find themselves and i think part of bridging the divide is giving people tools to be able to deal with themselves before they even can deal with anything else you talk about the human operating system and if you don't know how to operate you're going to constantly run up against failure and difficulty. So it sounds like you're helping people operate better so they can do the dialectic yeah. work of yeah. arriving at the truth through a variety of exercises that are non-biased, not personal, and are taking all information into consideration and filtering that in a variety of ways to get to this truth and to get to these solutions. And I don't think people are used to doing that. What you're doing needs to be our primary job. What people go do for hours and hours per day just to put food on the table is not their job. What you're showing people how to do is the number one job, which is being the best version of themselves so they can have a better experience. And that is not something that is emphasized. And that's a problem. Right. And one of the things that I think is one of the root causes of all of this is a psychological term called splitting. Splitting is something pre-wired, we'll do this automatically, is making things good or bad or right or wrong. And for me, I haven't landed anywhere. I'm just in such process of changing my thinking about all of it and my insights about it. But I think the more we can get towards nuance and away from the splitting, splitting and generalizing, it really is something that's valuable for us as individuals. Part of the wiring is we need shortcuts. We need cognitive shortcuts because we can't rethink everything. We have to recognize patterns and make quick decisions about certain things. But now it's become maladaptive in this political realm. And part of the thing is slowing down, delaminating from our survival instincts, regulating our nervous system. 
there's a website I think you'd really, really like. It's called The Theory of Enchantment. It's an African-American woman named Chloe Valdery, and she has an online course. I'm going to do it. I haven't started it yet. But it's about really bringing love back into this political divide and a lot about the teachings of Martin Luther King. It's very beautiful. I think she's going to address some of the psychological things, but probably also spiritual without mentioning that word. But that too, I could see how many people are taking a piece of this dynamic and working their piece. And I think I'm finding my niche more. Rob has his niche. These different organizations have different ways of approaching this to make us more whole human beings in a way. Yeah, we have to actually do the work. We actually have to take action and be willing to swallow pride and ego and cooperate and be willing to listen and just shut up for five minutes. Yep. And you know, what you're bringing to mind for me is this whole cultivation of humility. I talk about that a lot. Getting to I don't know, or I could be wrong, all those kind of statements and reduction of shame. So the other part that I haven't talked about yet that really plays a big part is our defense mechanism. And we all have them. They're self-protective in nature, although they may come out as ugly. And what I hope with my work is if I can prime people and give them enough information that isn't threatening at first and really get under the defense mechanisms. Because like I said, in the old talks with Rob, when we would get to the issues too quickly, people were too defended. It was too threatening. And science has shown that people react neurobiologically to opposing ideas as if they were physical threats. My favorite thing is what I'm doing right now with these two groups. Meet once a month, twice a month, go slowly, give some information, and build up to the ability to listen to another point of view and really see what's right about it. And even if I don't see in my life experience what's right about it, I at least can see based on that other person's life and experience what's right about it for them. Yeah. I do love America. I don't always like America, but I do love where I came from. And there's a lot of potential there for amazingness to happen. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world, honestly. The potential there is off the chains, but it does require cooperation and collaboration and some reasonableness. And I think we're in the throes of being forced into a position to have to start doing this. Right. I'm going to thank you for my children that you are doing the real work that needs to be done more than anything I can imagine on the planet. Thank you so much, Mark. Can I do a little plug for my website? Yeah, of course. Let's hear how and where and when and all that stuff. I have a website, buildingbridgers.com, and you can subscribe to my email list and there's a blog on there. And anybody who wants to talk further, feel free to contact me. There's a contact page. Any questions that anybody has or interests, let me know. Thanks for inviting me. Sure, Marla. It's good to check in with you again. You look great. This work is keeping you youthful and energetic. (laughs) And you make me think about Ashland. I haven't been there for six months now. Much love to you, Marla. Take good care, Mark. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Citizen 44 with Harry Hobson. Hi, Harry. Hi. This is the first show being recorded from Luna Sushi. Lunasushi.com. In District 1 of Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Yeah. Or we call it Saigon. Some do. Who does and who doesn't? I'd say every Vietnamese I've ever met calls it Saigon. Okay. You've been here how long? On and off. A couple of years. So we're drinking some beer. Cheers. Cheers. You know, you're supposed to look at somebody. Isn't that how it works? You're supposed to look at somebody when you drink after you do a cheers? I guess. Are we recording right now? Yeah, you're on now. future ex-wife that barely knows you're alive at the restaurant we went to where the food was amazing. What's the name of that place? Bip. B-E-P. B-E-P. Yeah. Yeah, you took me to this place for lunch the other day, and the plates were these little mini plates for 40,000 V&D. Yeah. But the food is incredible. It was lovely. It really is. I'm still a little blown away. We'd probably be eating there now, but I can't really do the show there like this because your girlfriend would not be happy about this. I've yet to know her to be happy. Have you yet to know her at all on any level whatsoever, considering (laughs) you call her your girlfriend or your future ex-wife? When we went, she barely acknowledged that you were a human being in the same airspace. Oh, well, maybe maybe it's me. Does she even know your name? No, and I don't know hers either. Okay, so you're really doing some level jumping here on your relationship based on the complete lack of knowledge you have for each other. I know she's Khmer. Did she tell you she was? She did. Okay. So you've had words between you yes, and your girlfriend. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think she's a bit moody, but anyway, but so what? It's all in good fun. The default is the good food. The food is good. That is the default. Yeah. As a booby prize, uh, good food is, uh, is a pretty good second prize. You might as well eat well. Yeah, extremely well for a reasonable amount of money. Right. So we're on the second floor, the restaurant, lunasushi.com. That's correct. On the first floor is where Tu and her husband, Mr. Lin, operate this place. Yes. And there's some other people down there, like Lone, your friend who speaks Chinese to you. Yeah, she does. It's an enjoyable thing that we do. Yeah. She's super sweet. Yeah. I love her. She's she's great. Yes. She loves Harry Potter. She reminds me of my daughter. Yeah, she's a great kid. She's only a little bit older. How old is she? 25. Oh, she's 25. 24, 25. Yeah. Harry Hobson, you've got a total character name. You sound like a literary figure. There's a famous playwright named Harold Hobson. Oh. He's, He's very, very famous. What did he write? I don't recall. He's British. Your family's from that area, right? Yeah, I think we arrived in 1850 or somewhere around that period of time. Okay. 
Yeah, I was I was born in the 60s. The very, very end of the baby boomer. A couple more months and I would have been Generation X. Oh, thank God. Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. I don't really understand any of that. Well, we always think the baby boomers are all medicated. That's our attitude. We look at baby boomers as being all medicated. Well, isn't that my father? <laughs> He is medicated. <laughs> he is? Oh. My father was born in 1930, and he was medicated. Yeah, he took lithium. Oh. Yeah. I came here from Ashland, Oregon. Ah. The famous park in Ashland, Oregon is Lithia Park. Oh, Lithia. Lithia Park was designed by the same gentleman, I don't know the name, who oh. designed Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Nice. Lithia Park has Ashland Creek running through it. Oh. Ashland Creek was known for being filled with lithium. Oh. You say that you work for Disney, the happiest place on earth. I think Ashland, Oregon, with all that lithium in the water, was literally one of the happiest places on earth. Yeah. And still yeah. to this day has a unique energy and people are very happy there. Oh, well, there we go. You'd think that they have it in the water here because people are generally happy here in Saigon, Vietnam. Yeah, people here are generally very, very positive. It's a very positive place. It's Have you seen much in the way of people being disgruntled? Rare. It's very rare. Yeah. Considering there's four or five or six million people running around this city at a given time, there's very little discourse. Disgruntledness. I've only seen two incidents of people losing their cool. Yeah, yeah. One was a traffic-related incident where two cars were a little unhappy with their maneuvering. It was brief, and it was funny. The other yeah. one was what I consider social justice. Oh. I was walking down by Bouy Vienne, and a man had a young woman by her hair. Mm. And then there was an older woman screaming at the young woman, and they were surrounded by some people that were like a jury. Oh. And it all seemed very contained, and I thought, oh, well, I have to go across the street and somehow intervene. And then I got there, and I realized, oh, no, I don't, I don't really belong in this thing at all. And it looked like some justice that was occurring naturally amongst people. And it soon broke up. The girl was able to break the hold of the guy having her hair and was continued to be screamed at by this woman. And then it just kind of dissipated. Mm, but that is the only two incidents of negative energy that I've really seen in this city since I've been here January 12th of this pandemic year. Yeah, it's, it's genuinely a very calm I mean, it's not calm in the sense of it's a highly dynamic place. It's constantly moving. But there's never really much in the way of bad feelings here. Yeah. And if they are, they're covering them up really well. Yeah. Both two and Mr. Lin own this place. Yeah. Just below us is the kitchen. They got 95% delivery sushi business here. Pretty Very cool. popular. They deliver to all districts in Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. The food's excellent. That's We're doing this show live from here because sure. we're going to eat some kick-ass sushi Yes. and drink this delicious beer. Cheers. Cheers. So we're both living here. You're on the next level, which would be the third floor. That's correct. And then I'm one floor above you on the fourth floor. Yes. So you're below me. Yes. Uh, below be me. Below Yeah, you're you. below me. You're not blow me. You're yeah. below me. Below you. Yeah. And we didn't meet until I was here for like a week. We just kept missing each other. Yeah. I saw you out front drinking coffee with... Uh, Mr. Tran. Mr. Tran, who's right next door, has a film company, Orange Film Company, I believe it's called. OrangeFilmVietnam.com. Yeah. 
He makes commercials. Well, he does everything, but commercials are what he's doing right now. Okay. This is my friend here, Harry Hobson from the Harry Potter series of books and movies. You got a pretty good head of hair there. Did your father have a good head of hair too? No. So you take after your mom's side? Mom's side. You got your mom's side. Mom's side had good hair. Dad's side did not. Me too. The whole big bosom and the fat and the bald and the dead by 75. Yeah, I'm on that collision course. Oh, no. Yeah. But my mom was the funny one. Ah. Funnier one. Oh, good, good. By the way, she was on this show many times. I know Uh, you've only listened to maybe one show, last show, show 87 with Toro Wolishin. My mother played a character being herself on most of my shows. Ah. She passed away in December of last year. Hi, Marky. Hey, Mom. What's happening? Not much. Just making chicken soup. Maybe make Daddy feel better. What's the matter with Dad? You know, his lungs have been bothering him. I didn't know that was happening recently. Oh, yeah. And then they added a lot more meds yesterday. So I had this chicken for a couple of days, and I said, I'm going to go play cards today. So then he came back, and I thought, geez, I have plenty of time. So, like, what do you do with the chicken? What to do, what to do? So, I thought, well, if he's not feeling up to par, chicken soup is always good. Jewish medicine, right? Jewish penicillin. Right. Well, it's not helping my shoulder. What's the matter with your shoulder? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It hurts. Okay. And then it goes down and I get electric shots in it. I don't know if that's from my face, whatever. Did you get that CBD cream? Yeah. Did you put it on your shoulder? Sometimes. How about now when it hurts and you know about it and you have the cream? I could do that. Well, I'm just saying, I just had my first cup of coffee and a couple, well, no, I guess I tried to have it last weekend and it didn't do well by me. I remember you saying that. I felt I wanted a cup of coffee this morning, so I went and got one and uh, so far so good. Oh, good. What's dad doing? Well, he was helping me. He cut up the celery and the onion for the soup. Did he cry when he cut up the onions? I don't think he did. By the way, you're opening show number 44. Do you know who was the 44th president of the United States of America? Uh, it's not Kennedy. 44th president of the United States of America, mother. 44. Who do you think that is? the most significant shift in American politics in the history of American politics. Come on, who would have been the most significant... You're not talking about Lincoln. No. I mean, I'm not saying... I'm not taking anything away from old Abe. He totally threw down and did some things for the people. No, no, no. But that's interesting you say Lincoln because you're on the right track. If it wasn't for Abraham Lincoln, this person may never have become president of the United oh, States of America. you're talking about Obama. Yeah, he's number 44. Are you recording right now? Yes, I am. Oh, you're faking me out. I'm not faking you out. I told you you're opening show number 44, but you weren't really listening to what I was but saying. But I didn't think it was today. Yeah. Cool, cool. So does dad want to say hi or is he chopping broccoli? Mom, I forgot to tell you. What? Zoe got her driver's license. Oh, Mazel How cool for her. Yeah, she went to go take the written test. She aced it. Wow, cool. My darling, my precious son. Yes, mother. I'm going to hang up because I have to get ready to go to my game. Okay, well, have a great game. Going to a Chinese, Chinese restaurant.
You're going to a Chinese Chinese restaurant? Is that a, a yeah, restaurant for we, stuttering Jews? I'm sorry? After you yeah, play cards? Going, no, that's where we play cards. You play cards in a Chinese restaurant? Yeah, not every time. Sometimes we play in a, a country club, and sometimes they play at an Italian restaurant. What's the name of the Chinese restaurant? It's called Hot Walk. Hot Walk? Hot Walk on Nordoff and Reseda. Okay, and they let you guys just sit in there and play and eat lunch? Uh-huh. That's pretty nice. How long have you been doing yeah. that? Long time. What's a long time? A long time. Ten years? Well, I don't know. Twenty years? Ten years? Five years? Maybe. Okay. How many ladies are playing cards? It's Pan, so it's eight players. Oh, Pan, that's right. Pan. It's not cards. It is cards. It's Pan. Yeah, it's cards. Yeah. It's eight decks of cards. And you're all about the same age? You're all close to 80 or above? To how old? 80-ish. I said 39, 40. The, the other ladies, not you. Oh, 44. You've been out of America for three decades almost, right? Yeah, almost three solid decades. Yeah, you're 55? Yeah. You've been gone since you were like 24 years old. Yes. You went to college. Yes. To do something, what did you do there? Uh, I learned to speak Chinese. And that's helped you to speak to Lone here at the restaurant. Yeah, it's, it's great for talking to girls. Well, Chinese <laughs> girls or girls that can speak Chinese. Well, you lived in China. I have. And that probably was handy in China. It was. Okay. I uh, lived in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and China for about 19 years altogether. Huh? I lived in Singapore for a couple of years, lived in Malaysia for a year, lived in Thailand for a few years, lived here for a little while. Yeah, so that's pretty much it, yeah. In, oh, in, Cambodia. I was in Cambodia for so a So you've, you've been on pretty much every touching country. I have lived in almost every country. I have yet to go to South Korea. I haven't lived in Japan or Philippines. Have you been to the Philippines? I have, just for a day. Big layover. Yeah. Uh, seemed nice enough. Spent some time in Indonesia. I like Indonesia. What's been your favorite place so far? It's hard because it changes. You know, it's really a time, place, and people. The three that stand out are Hong Kong, Taipei, and Saigon. Which is where we are right now. I think it's happening here now. There aren't so many foreigners here right now because of the pandemic. I think we're the only two left. Last night we were at Bouyvian Street and I think there were like 10 of us. Yeah. That is a fraction of the people that are normally occupying the city. That's true. It's, 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 it's nothing. Come in here, Mr. Lin. Food? Yeah, we want that, Mr. Lin. Thank you, Mr. Lin. <laughs> That's the guy that owns Luna Sushi. Lunasushi.com. Lovely. You're from Florida, right? Yeah, I grew up in Orlando. Ah, Disney World. Yep, I drove the monorail. In Disney World? That was your job? I did. When I was in high school, I drove the monorail. How was that? Uh, it was fun. You know, it was a job. It was your typical going to college, going to high school job. How was the pay? At that time, the pay was actually quite good. Huh. And there'd be hundreds of people on the train, right? I think it carried 300 people. You didn't really drive the train. It's on a track, right? I mean, you had to push a button to stop it or something. You have a lever. You move it forward with a lever. I drove the boats for a while, too. Did you ever have uh, relations with uh, a, a fair maiden on one of these transportation devices you operated? Oh, no. That would be wrong. Oh, no. That would be wrong. That would be against company policy. I understand that. But when the company was closed and all the bigwigs were gone, did you have any fun at the park? 
No, that was something I stayed away from entirely. I want to have a good, clean record. Okay, well, you know, you haven't been in the States for 30 years. Walt's dead and gone. I don't think anybody's going to come looking for you. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in Orlando? Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, you know, it was warm. It was sunny. A lot of fun. How far from the beach were you? An hour. Okay. So you were inland a bit. Yeah. It's hot during the summertime. Is it sticky too? Like, Oh, jeez. Is it worse than here? I think so, because here there's a bit of a breeze. In Orlando, it's 90% humidity. I don't think the humidity is that high here. No, it's like 60% max, I think. That's nothing. Yeah. It's still hot. Yeah. It was particularly hot today, by the way. I went out and and got a little bite to eat at the Kam Chai place. We're recording here from Luna Sushi. Lunasushi.com. You and I live upstairs. That's correct. Not together. You're on the third floor. I'm on the top floor, fourth floor. You have a balcony, don't you? I do. It's very nice. Your balcony doesn't look like a prison like mine does. Yeah, you've got bars. You don't have bars on yours. I don't have bars. You could jump if you wanted to. Yeah, I could. See if you bounce. I'm sure I'd land on a rock and hurt my foot. You'd probably land on a Vietnamese person and hurt them. Yeah, that would be wrong. Oh, Lone. I am so excited not only to have food, I'm more excited that it's Lone. I love Lone. These two speak Chinese together. Okay. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Marla for coming on the show and talking to me about all the incredible work that she's doing. Fundamentally, this is the kind of work we need to be doing in primary school with children to get them on board quickly. They already possess the skills necessary to cooperate and collaborate so we don't have to deal with adults. If we got to human beings much earlier and prepared them much better for life, we could avoid a lot of this unnecessary suffering and get to some more positive, creative things that we could be doing together versus just trying to learn to get along. I want to thank Harry. Harry, buddy. Thank you so much for being a buddy and spending time with me and doing all these fun things together. And now we're going to be working together starting tomorrow. I'm super stoked to be this marketing manager slash creative director of a really forward thinking tech company here in Ho Chi Minh City. They also have offices in Hanoi and in Dallas, Texas. Thank you, Peter, for trusting me with your life and your vision. Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. You can catch all now 88 shows on CastBox, Stitcher, and iTunes. Also check out citizen44.com. Thank you so much for clicking 3,000 times. I appreciate it. I don't care about monetizing this thing. I do it for love. I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I love the connection with the people and giving them a venue to talk about their stories and how they feel. And anybody who's listening, hey, that's great. I do it because it feels good. And if it helps anybody along the way, bonus. That's the bonus. If any of this information empowers anybody to do anything differently that nets a positive result and increases the quality of their life, that is better than any dollars that I could get out of this thing. That's what it's all about for me. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Coming up, I've got Allison Smith, 
Bishop Mayfield and Nick Depew. I'm going to have my young friend Connor Smith from Ashland, Oregon, who took off for Thailand at 18 to follow his dream and a whole lot of other fun people. Again, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. This show is sponsored by Luna Sushi, lunasushi.com. Also, ATEP Herbal Spa. Check them out on Facebook. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. Yes. Yeah. I am Citizen 44.